This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about the top three estate planning must-dos. And with me today, I have financial advisor Julie Chadwick, and Julie has some specialty in the estate planning area when working with clients in our financial planning. So welcome, Julie. Thanks for having me, Mary. These are always something that is an ongoing thing that you need to update, and estate planning is something that never really is done. Right. Because you might have, you know, get done the initial work to it, but it's, you know, reviewing and updating. So it's something that we always have to touch base on. Yeah, so I think that's a good thing to start out with by saying is that if you haven't looked at your estate documents in about five years, it probably would be a good idea to dig them out, read them over, and maybe take them to an attorney and do a little bit of a refresh with them. Right. So maybe things in your life haven't changed or, you know, different scenarios there, but their actual um, laws and and rules of change there. So that's probably the things that might need updating. So the first must do is getting your estate documents in order. So the documents that I think are the most important is what we call our three pack of documents, the will, the financial power of attorney and the healthcare power of attorney. Right. That three pack is one of the, the things that we're always touching base on first. There's some you know other documents that are important, but those are the main three that everybody really should have no matter what. It doesn't matter if you have a large estate or you don't have you know much of a state at all. You need a will. So what happens if you don't have a will? If you don't have a will, everything is going to go through probate. If you don't have a will, then basically everything is going to be, first of all, public knowledge. It's going to go through Mm -hmm. and say everything has to be figured out and settled by the state if you're not, you know, designating your wishes for your assets or anything that you have. And I don't know about most people listening, but I'm pretty sure that the state I live in is not going to give away my stuff exactly the same way I would have wanted it to go. Probably not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Not even close. So that will is simply going to just help you define where you want your things to go. So if it's a a spouse or if you don't have any children, it might be um, going to a charity or donation or something like that. So so the will is often said to be the cornerstone of any estate plan. And the main purpose of the will is to give the property to your heirs after your death in the way that you want to. So one of the important provisions in a will is that you're going to name an executor, which is the person who's going to manage and settle your estate. The other thing that a will does, though, is that you can name a legal guardian for your minor children or dependents who have special needs. And if you don't appoint that guardian, the state will do that for you. And again, that's probably not the best person or you know entity that you're going to want exactly. taking care of your children. So you want to make sure that they're cared for in the way that you want. Now think about the fact if you're divorced and you don't have a will and you pass away, your minor children are likely to be going to your ex-spouse And if you've left all of your money to your minor children and not made any provisions to say who you want to take care of that money, then your ex-spouse is now taking care of it for your kids. Now, it's for your kids, but if they're taking care of your kids, they're in charge of it. And I don't know about you, Julie, but I also don't know too many divorced people who are cool giving their money to their ex-spouse <laughs> to decide with what to do. <laughs> Nor do they feel that they're going to trust that they're going to really take care of the kids the way they want. Right. So like Mary said, there are provisions in you know your will that you can designate how that money is given to them, how it, they're taken care of, whether it's set up for school or whatever. So you can make sure that it will be, if it's intended for the children, that it will go to the 
children. Exactly. Now, a financial power of attorney, it's also sometimes called a general power of attorney or a durable power of attorney. We call it a financial power of attorney because that just seems to be a more descriptive word of it. But basically, if you become physically or mentally incapacitated while you're alive, that power of attorney is going to give somebody the power to make changes, help you with, you know, handle your financial accounts, basically. Right. So if like something happened, you're in an accident and you're incapacitated and you can't make decisions on your account, if you need to get some money, say, out of your bank account or something, if the bank account is in your name and your spouse goes in and says, hey, I need to get some money out of my husband's account, yeah, you can't, can't do that without him. a power of attorney. No. Nope. No matter how how great of a friend you could be with your banker or know everything about them. Legally, they do not have to give you anything on that. Legally, they can't. Yeah, they can't legally. So Mm -hmm. those are really what's important. People say, well, I know my banker. I know you guys, and you'll help me take care of it. No, we can't do that either. So... So there's two types of powers of attorneys. There's an immediate one, which becomes effective right away, but that's not normally what you would create. Normally what you would create is called a springing power of attorney, or basically it means it's just not going to be effective until you are incapacitated. Right. And a lot of times it's going to take, you know, a note from the doctor saying that Mm -hmm. you are actually incapacitated and can't handle your own finances. So then it will go into effect. So that third one, the health care power of attorney, a lot of times we get asked, um, is this the same as a living will? And the answer is no, a health care power of attorney encompasses the things that a living will would do, but it also is much broader based. Right. It's really going to help you out with the decisions. Again, why you're alive is the key. So mm-hmm. anything, if you're talking will related, is going to be after you've passed on, but your power of attorneys are when you're alive. So the health care power of attorney is going to help you get access to, you know, what's going on, you know, doctor records, requesting information like that, being able, you know, for the doctors to share that information with you mm-hmm. on someone else because of the Privacy Act and the HIPAA and all that information. We have to make sure that we have this health care power of attorney in play. So the healthcare power of attorney usually encompasses three main parts. It's the living will, which allows you to approve or decline certain types of medical care, even if it means you would die. So that's kind of the pull the plug, don't pull the plug thing. Right. It's what the person's intentions mm-hmm. are. Yep. The second is that you can appoint somebody as your power of attorney for healthcare decisions. So let's say you're in a coma, that you've given somebody else the power to make decisions for your care. Right. And then the third part of it is having a DNR, a do not resuscitate order, can be part of your healthcare power of attorney. So if you do actually die, that they don't try to bring you back. Right. And that's always really important to have. A lot of times, um, you know, husband and wife or, you know, someone who's single, they haven't discussed that with other people, but they fully know what their intent is. So if you Mm -hmm. don't have it down in writing, you know, you're kind of leaving that up to the other person. Yep. So those are the three main estate planning documents that we're talking about when we say get your documents in order as our first estate planning must do. Now, the second estate planning must do is review your beneficiary designations. It's so important at least once a year to just review all your beneficiary designations and make sure that they're the way that you want them to be. And that's because life changes. Right. There are so many instances where life has changed and people haven't updated their beneficiary designations and then people are getting money who aren't the ones who should have got the money or people get left out and then that causes a lot of harm and hurt feelings and things like that. So you want to keep in mind with your beneficiary designations, your primary beneficiary is the person who you want to get the money when you are dead. Mm Mm-hmm. The contingent beneficiaries only get the money if you and your primary beneficiaries are all dead. 
Right. So at least have one contingent beneficiary because a lot of times people will come in and they just have primaries and no contingent mm-hmm. beneficiaries. We call it the get by the hit by the bus syndrome. You know, if you walk out and you're together as a couple and you walk out and you both die or in a plane crash or something, if you both are gone at the same time and you don't have any contingent beneficiaries, then it's just like you didn't have any at all. So Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about our third estate planning must do. And that I will give you a sneak peek on is keep human nature in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Good leave. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And we're talking today about the top three estate planning must-dos. The first one was to get your estate documents in order. The second one was to review your beneficiary designations. And the third must-do is keep human nature in mind. And here's what I mean by this is you may think that your family is different, that your children, your siblings, and things like that will all just get along fine after you're gone. And maybe you don't need to specify what you want to have happen. And you're going to rely on their goodwill and good heartedness and good human nature. But the reality is that when there is money involved, unfortunately, the uglier side of people frequently comes out. Right. We've we've seen it all too often where people say, you know, we've heard about, you know, no estate planning or things like that. And they say, not my family. That'll right. never happen to my family. My brother or my sister or my husband, yep. they would never, ever do that. And really, you don't have any choice in the matter because you're gone. However, you're leaving it to chance. And money yeah. changes people. It does. It does. There it, there, there rises up in, 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 uh, an entitlement mm-hmm. of, well, wait a minute, that should be mine type of thing. And then it, it gets ugly from there. But, you know, there's that kind of a famous saying of instead of where there's a will, there's a way. It's <laughs> where there's a will, there's 500 relatives. <laughs> yes. You find out really how many friends you, you know, you don't, they don't really have, but you're their friends. And, and they, you know, feel that they're entitled to a piece because they helped you out one time. So. Yeah. So here's what not to do. Don't leave all of the money to one child with the expectation they're going to split it up with your other children. Right. That is like setting them up for disaster because not only is it going to rely on them to be fair, which may or may not happen, it it also creates a huge tax and potentially gift problem for them to be giving large amounts to a sibling. It doesn't necessarily work that way. You can just give money like that. It, exactly. That That's one of the big parts. But when everyone's saying, you know, I'll give it to this person, the eldest child, because they're the most responsible, well, you've penalized them tax-wise too. But then they have to decide how it's supposed to be distributed out. And it might not be your wishes, but it's also going to simply just create chaos in the family. Yeah. So... The other thing not to do is to do no planning, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you do no planning and the state's going to decide, somebody's likely to contest that and then it just gets ugly. Um, where it gets the ugliest is when there's no children. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times the kids will at least be like, well, I guess we should split things equally and they figure something out. But if there's no children, then sibling infighting for assets can get really, really ugly. Mm-hmm. And especially the more siblings you have, the more dysfunctional your family might already be. <laughs> right. Well, I like to Julie, think you that... you have a lot of siblings. I, I, like, <laughs> I like to think that, you know, we're pretty civil, but mm-hmm. I'd ask my husband and said, no, you're all crazy. So, there you go. You know, there's eight of us. There is eight of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, you know, God willing, we all love each other and we all get along. But I'd hate to see 
something like that tear us apart. So yeah, exactly. And that's the key where you, like I said, I'm not going to be naive and say I don't think that'll ever happen to us because it absolutely can. Yeah, and it's just don't leave that chance out there. So yeah, so the more that you can do while you're alive to make sure that you've spelled out what you want to have happen the more important it is. But here's the thing to keep in mind about that is what what's fair is not always equal and what's equal is not always fair. And that's what makes estate planning so difficult. That is the key point to everything. My parents are ones who just mm-hmm. want to try and make everything equal. And I said, there's no way things are going to be equal. And that's okay. Yes. <laughs> that's the part is they have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the real big key. So some other things to make sure that you don't do. Um, we're going to go through kind of a little list of them. So first of all, if you have remarried and you remarried later in life um, and you leave your new spouse everything and your children nothing, that is kind of a recipe for disaster. Now, maybe your children deserve nothing. I'm not mm. saying you can't do that. But I am saying that um, when you remarry later in life, and especially if you have no will, the default in most states is that things go to your spouse. And so that your can cut spouse. your children. Yeah, your yep, current spouse. That exactly. can cut your children out of everything. And that may not have been your intent at all. So that's why the planning is so um, important. But if you... If you don't specify who you want to get what, then um, second spouses and adult children are the two biggest categories of people who fight with each other. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that that's where it causes the most chaos. And then, like Mary said earlier, that's where things can be contested. Anytime when something is contested, it simply is just adding up. It's going to eat, eat away at the estate. Yep. Okay, so that money's going to go away into courts, court costs and lawyer fees. So you're just, it's just eating that away that would go to them anyway. So mm-hmm. you're just creating more, more chaos. Another thing that can be kind of a horror story if you don't do the proper estate planning is if you have a life partner, but you were never married to them. In many states, they don't have any legal standing once mm-hmm. you're gone. So if there's no will, no estate planning, they are completely left out of the picture. They will not get a thing through the probate process because normally what probate is going to do is it's going to look for a spouse. And if there's no spouse, it's going to look for lineal descendants. Right. And lineal descendants means going down first and then up. So lineal would mean do you have any children? If not, do you still have parents who are alive? If you don't have either of those, then they go out what they call horizontally, like to nieces, nephews, siblings, Siblings, things like that. And they go up and down those lines. But nowhere in that mix is a life partner who would have lived with you forever. Right. Some of the some of the laws are changing um, slowly. But like you said, it depends on what state you're in, you know, if they're going to accommodate that or not. So the best way to be able to not have, you know, leave that to chance is to simply have that in your will specify who that partner is and what you want to go to that partner. Yep. I mean, imagine the heartbreak. You've not only lost your life partner, but now you're getting kicked out of the home because no planning was done and there's no money left because no planning was done. I mean, it's just not a good situation. Right. Where both those people could have, you know, put money into the home and sweat Mm -hmm. equity and all that. But if it's not in their name and it's in your name only, then it doesn't matter what they've done to it. So. Yep, exactly. So now um, my boyfriend and I, we have our own set of estate planning documents, but we live in the same home and we've lived together for many, many years. And um, so we've taken care of each other in that estate planning. 
but it still allows him to favor his children and me to favor my children to take care of each other with some assets. But, you know, my main thing was I don't I don't want his child to be able to come into my home and take things that are inside my home mm-hmm. that were his dad's. Exactly. That's our home. Yeah. <laughs> Right. If he wants to take something on, you know, on the farm or if there's something in the garage that he wants first, but I should get first, you know, availability to be able to keep the things that are inside of my own home. And and so that's kind of the way that we wrote those. Now, I mean, and his son is a wonderful, wonderful person. I don't think there would ever be an issue. But just like we've talked about, you just never know. You, you never know. And yeah. just like you said, instead of leaving it a chance or, or creating that chaos, if you can avoid that, like you guys have done, is you just simply wrote everything out as yep. fast what your intentions are. So mm-hmm. then there's no really question to it. Now, one of the other things that can happen that is tricky is if you don't update your beneficiary designations, you may end up leaving some money to somebody who you never intended to, like an Mm ex-spouse. So I can't say how many times I've seen that happen where people didn't change and update things after they got divorced. Their children are grown, you know, and maybe they're even remarried, but their ex-spouse is still the beneficiary. (laughs) There's no contesting that. When when you die, whatever name is on that beneficiary, that is what trumps everything. It trumps the will. It trumps your intentions. It trumps everything. And the same thing, you know, if you think good intentions are going to be out there, maybe that ex-spouse, you know, would do the right thing. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but there's tax consequences in there too. So like Mary said, you can't just give somebody money. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, even if the best intentions were there, that stuff is not going to happen the way you want. Yeah. So here's some things to kind of think about too when it comes to like quirky planning that you think you're doing right. So um, this was a story about um, a client that was filing a tax return, which included the sale of the home that, that she had occupied with her husband for 20 or I'm sorry for 30 years and they had lived together so long that they thought they were common law spouses Um, when they hadn't drafted a will they hadn't done anything like that and in order to take care of her um, where they thought they were common law spouses but they weren't ever officially married uh, kind of on his deathbed he sold her the house for one dollar (laughs) verbally yeah so it's still it was okay that the house went into her name, but now she had this house, which she had bought for $1. So when she went to sell the house, then the entire value of the house was gain. <laughs> and so now there's some rules where you can have some gain on the house, but in this situation that there was more than that and created an undue tax burden for her. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't just think you're going to skirt around the laws with doing things like selling your girlfriend a house for a dollar (laughs) especially verbally those kind of things you might think work but they don't necessarily work so okay so those are some horror stories that hopefully our top three estate planning must do's will keep you out of hot water in (laughs) i want to talk for a couple minutes though about trust because the trust is something that we get a lot of questions on so julie in general what is a trust a trust is a legal entity that holds assets you know, the benefit for another. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is you basically, it's like a container holding your money, your assets, your home Mm -hmm. and all that stuff in the name of a trust. When you're doing that, you're protecting that from the, you know, from the probate process or from leaving things out. It's going to help you tax wise too, things like that. It can help you tax wise, but avoiding tax is not the main thing that most trusts do. The main thing that most trusts do is it keeps it out of probate. So it avoids probate costs. Yes. 
but it also keeps it private. So mm-hmm. it's not public knowledge what all you had and what was in your trust. So Julie, the the ear of I'm sorry, the revocable living trust is the most common type of trust. So tell us a little bit about that one. The revocable living trust is something that you establish while you're living and it's you the re- revocable simply means that it can be changed. Mm-hmm. So while you're alive, you can make changes or amendments to that. It's kind of like your alter, alter ego, you mm-hmm. know, but is what it's going to do is name everything in that trust. It just like you said, protect things from probate. You know, you don't want to by naming everything and putting everything in the trust, then it will protect those assets from not being able to um, being passed on without having your intentions in, in the trust. You specify what you want to do with that. So I'm Mary Stirk, and I have the Mary Stirk Revocable Living Trust. It's just like she said, it's my alter ego. So my trust owns my house. It owns the shares of my company. It owns my bank account and my car and things like that. So imagine that you have one of those things, and let's say that you have several rental houses, and then you have some farmland. And let's say altogether your property equals a million dollars worth of value. Having your property go through probate can typically cost anywhere from 2 to 4% of the value that goes through there. So this property that you have, just to get it through the probate process so that your heirs can either sell it or keep it and put it in their name, is likely to cost anywhere between twenty dollars to $40,000. And somebody's going to have to come up with that cash out of your estate. Right. So if you spend... Two to three thousand dollars to create a trust, and you put that property in the trust. It avoids that probate process, and completely avoids that cost of probate when you've gone because it's owned by the trust, and the trust is something that continues to last beyond your lifetime. So it's just keeping those assets intact, so you're not yeah. giving them away. Yep. Exactly. So a trust, a living trust, is not necessarily going to do a tremendous amount of benefit for you while you're alive, but boy, howdy, is it something that's nice for your your heirs and your family when you're gone. One of the keys is making sure you fund the trust. A lot of yeah. times we'll have people start a trust, <laughs> but then they don't change the ownership names because you have to change the ownership of the house, the assets, the mm-hmm. bank accounts to the name of the trust. Otherwise, it's like you didn't even do it. So that will go through probate if they're not in there. Now, there's several other kinds of trusts, and we don't have time today to dive into all of those. There is an irrevocable trust, which means you can't change it. And it is something that is not very commonly used anymore, except for larger estate planning strategies. Um, And then there's something that is called a testamentary trust, which is a trust that's established in your will once you've passed away. Um, And those are used when people don't have enough assets right now that they actually need the revocable living trust. Mm -hmm. You don't actually set it up until you're gone because it gets created once you die through your will. Right. The irrevocable a lot of times comes in handy if you have maybe special needs children or something like that yep. so it can make it make it so those their provisions provided for them yeah okay so those are our top three estate planning must do's get your documents in order review your beneficiary designations and keep human nature in mind we hope that's been valuable information and thanks for listening to money guide with mary stirk the views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations.
situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.